0: Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of the Brawn Body Health and Fitness Podcast. I'm excited that you're joining us today. Today I'm joined by Dr. Austin Kohlish, and we're going to be discussing lacrosse rehabilitation and performance training and all kinds of amazing stuff but we're really honing in on one thing in particular and that's something we refer to as a lax back. So maybe, maybe you're a provider who's treated a lot of lacrosse players, or maybe you yourself are a lacrosse athlete and you've experienced lower back pain. We dive into why that might be and what you can do about it. And Dr. Kolisch is a great individual to be discussing all these things with because he himself has played lacrosse at multiple levels and treated lacrosse athletes at pretty much every level from high school all the way up to the professional leagues. So I hope you enjoy this episode today. Dr. Kolisch, welcome
1: to the podcast. I'm super excited to have you on today, buddy. Yeah, thank you so much. I'm excited to be here. I know we've been uh, trying to find some time to actually (laughs) hop on the mics. Yeah, for sure. For
0: sure. So for people who aren't familiar with you and all the awesome work you're doing from a lacrosse standpoint with physical therapy, rehab, and even just performance in general, would you mind kind of filling them in a little bit about your journey and backstory?
1: Yeah. So my name is Austin Kolish. I'm a physical therapist and I work with True Sports Physical Therapy in Baltimore, Maryland. Um, I'm originally from Jersey and growing up, like one of my big uh, interests and passions was lacrosse. So I I always tell the story. I was kind of a late bloomer into the uh, world of athletics, Um, but I picked up lacrosse kind of halfway through high school. Fell in love with it, stuck with it. I played in college at a small D three school out in Pennsylvania called the Sales, and then ever since then I've just kind of been hooked with it. So I went to PT school um, in New Jersey at Rutgers, and so I played club there at Rutgers through PT school and. I've just kind of had to stick in my hand ever since gotten involved with a ton of like international lacrosse and even now playing, I have the opportunity in Baltimore I'm playing in the men's league two, three times a week. So it, it's been pretty good.
0: Yeah, that's awesome. And it seems like you took your passion for lacrosse that you had growing up and almost turned it into a career really.
1: Yeah. And that was a real big drive for me to kind of move, you know, from Jersey to Baltimore is that this is like the hub, you know, we have a ton of, um, of the elite high schools, in the MIAA here in Baltimore. And then we have a lot of these um, elite colleges as well with Hopkins, Maryland, you know, Loyola, Towson, you, you, um, all those different schools.
0: I think that speaks to your own ability to rehab or treat a lacrosse athlete because you kind of know what it takes because you've played lacrosse for years and years at this point.
1: Yeah, and it's one of those things, um, you know, I think any good sports PT, uh, just an inherent skill, you have to be able to break down movement kind of look at biomechanically um, what's going on with the system and then kind of piece it together. But it it definitely helps, especially when you have patients who, you know, have played lacrosse. Um, And it's funny because, you know, just how intense the lacrosse world here is in Maryland. I'll have high school guys and gals who come in and like they've played longer than I have uh, (laughs) just because they've had a stick in their hand. But it definitely helps relating to your patient, being able to speak that same language to them.
0: Yeah. Some of them, it's like they're born with the stick in their hands after all. Right. As you've been playing lacrosse yourself and going throughout your own career through college and everything, have you ever struggled with any injuries or pain or anything like that yourself, or has it been smooth sailing?
1: Yeah, knock on wood, I always say this. I get this question a lot. Um, I, I see a lot of ACL uh, uh, injuries, and I rehab that a lot. So I always get that question. Um, knock on wood, no. I've not, <laughs> I've not had any of that. The one nagging thing I've had, and I guess this will kind of be the crux of our conversation today, is I've, I've had low back pain. And that's been just an underlying thing that I've seen with all types of lacrosse players and a lot of just rotational field sport athletes.
0: Why do you think that is? Is it the demands of the sport or is it a certain pattern or is there a certain deficit you
1: see a lot? Yeah, I think it's, it's probably a combination of all three. Um, And I think we're seeing that more and more now. We kind of alluded to it before, but there's just so much early specialization. So we're seeing kids at such a young age diving into the sport and then you know a sample years worth of programming right like you start in the summer you have the whole summer circuit of club games so a lot of these kids will play on one or two club teams they're playing practices every week they have games and tournaments on the weekends because they're trying to get recruited by colleges That takes you into the fall it's the same thing maybe they play football maybe they play soccer and then winter is just prep for the spring and then spring is just all go lacrosse and then it kind of just never stops So I think a big piece of it is that you have this over specialization and then a lot of it, and we'll talk about this too, um, specifically for the the low back pain is just volume and and load management uh, regarding those like rotational patterns. I mean, lacrosse is obviously a heavy cutting field sport, but a a really unique piece of that is that rotational um, power that you get, you know, when you're shooting, releasing shots, passing, things like that. You mean to tell me more is not always
0: better in the sports world? What? My mind's blown yeah. right now, Austin. <laughs> um, yeah, and that lacrosse motion, the shot itself seems to be pretty unique in the combination of spinal extension and rotation very quickly. Yeah. Um, and I would imagine that a lot of athletes that you've worked with might even comment about how they have a hard time feeling the power generation from their hips transfer up into their arms. And they kind of compensate a lot more with their back than actually driving through their feet and their legs and getting those
1: uh, larger muscles down there to fire. Yeah, and that's that's it exactly. So, um, you know, it's, it's a term I've kind of picked up through true sports It's one we affectionately use you know, referring to that lacrosse player with low back pain, we call it lax back. Um, So we can dive into the pathology of that a little bit. But, I mean, I think you hit the nail on the head, right? I I liken it to a baseball's, um, you know, a pitcher's throw or a quarterback. Anytime the human body has to create force and generate that forward, you know, there's going to be some type of rotational aspect. There's going to be some type of full body um, integration between upper torso, core, hips, you know, creating that ground contact. So it's not that different from like a baseball, baseball's pitch. Um, I would say the, the biggest differentiator is just that release point and the stick. And so I think what actually happens is because we have that stick, it gives us a little bit more torque. And so if guys don't have enough of that core and, and hip strength and stability that you kind of mentioned, you know, they'll find different ways to kind of get a little bit more torque. So they'll they'll either drop their hands back or they'll kind of get into a little bit more of that lumbar extension. And then again, you know, that lumbar extension, side bending rotation is the perfect um, way with, with repetition is a perfect way to kind of introduce something like a spondy.
0: And that's something that can be very difficult to rehab. And, um, you know, unfortunately the body always sacrifices movement quality for movement quantity. Diving into that clinical picture of the lax back that you were talking
1: about, what do you typically sure. see? Is it- Yeah. So I, I think something to, to also consider is the sport um specific position right so in lacrosse and then we can kind of talk about men and women's sports as well but starting with men's lacrosse um i think having an understanding of the different positions is important so just to kind of quickly go through that your offensive players they're going to be the ones who are doing most of the shooting right so your attackers and your offensive middies um, and then your defensive players they tend to sit in more of a low of like that j position um, like oftentimes, like when I was coached to sit low in defense, I played close defense in college, um, it's hips low, chest up. And so you can almost assume that like super anterior pelvic tilted position. And, and then on top of that, you're adding compression, um, you know, spinal compression as they're making contact and like driving guys out almost like alignment as well. So I think understanding who's in front of you and what their positional demands are will kind of help. Um, but almost always when someone comes to the clinic and they have low back pain, they're, they're grabbing along that iliac crest, along that PSIS, and they're like, yeah, it hurts here. And typically, it's unilateral. I've seen it bilateral as well. Um, now, I think some of that, your differentiating factors um, need to come into play because some of that can kind of be like an SIJ type um, of a presentation. And, you know, some, sometimes it can also be a true spondy where, you know, they've gone, you know, you're referring out to an MD, they're getting an X-ray, and it shows that there's some type of fracture along the actual uh, spine.
0: How do you differentiate between the two? Are you kind of a Laslett cluster, thigh thrust and um, Faber and SI compression, distraction, that kind of uh, path? Or do you prefer like a tuning fork over the spine for the spondy fracture? Or what are you looking at as far as differential goes?
1: Yeah. So I, I think I tend to subscribe that our differentiating tools as therapists probably aren't super accurate, especially <laughs> for that SI SIJ uh, dysfunction diagnosis. So I say that kind of with air quotes, um, but it, it's worth noting, right? And I, I think it's, we have to look at the global picture of like, okay, well, what is this athlete doing in a week-to-week basis? What is their complaints? And then, you know, what is their functional goal? So to me, it, it almost doesn't really matter unless we know that they have like a severe um, fracture in the spine and they're being shut down for some some time, just to let the bone heal. To me, it doesn't really matter. I care really about, you know, what is their pain like? What is their pain tolerance like? And then we'll, we'll have a little bit of that conversation of like, you know, low back pain is something that occurs in many people and then understanding well what you want to do, maybe how we're doing it and what your functional status is right now. And a lot of the times that comes with like my functional strength testing, um, of course, I'll do palpation, things like that. Um, but yeah, I, I do like the tuning folk fork, or sometimes I'll actually take my phone and put it on vibrate mode for stress fractures, at, not just for the spine, but um, that, that's definitely one that's clinically relevant.
0: I haven't heard of that one before. I like that. I like that. Using the iPhone yeah. for the uh, <laughs> the next great test and measure here. I love it. Yeah. Uh, You're hitting a little bit on some of the different positional components to lacrosse and even some of the male versus female differences. Do you notice any different trends on the males versus the females when it comes to uh, lower back pain as it relates to lacrosse?
1: I think just anecdotally, um, women, in my experience, tend to have a little bit better sort of, like balance and hip dissociation and coordination. That's a real big thing that I spend time to talk about with my patients. Um, and it, it's always funny because, you know, I'll have some of these professional guys come in who play in the PLL or I'll have some of these real elite college guys who's just like giant hulking. Um, dudes, and then I'm having them on the table doing pelvic tilts and just learning how to like sync breathing and diaphragmatic breathing with all that. Um, but almost di- everyone I'm working with with low back pain, even if they don't have low back pain and I know they're a lacrosse player, again, going back to some of those ACL patients I have, almost inevitably at some point during their, their rehab phase, I'm going to need to load them. At some point, they're going to start having some back stuff. Um, so I, I think it's worthwhile to talk with all of your patients, just understanding, hey, like, you can actually tilt your pelvis without moving your torso. And that's a huge part, I think, of any rotational sport. And honestly, every sport's going to have some, some component of that. Um, so, yeah, a lot of the times I'll have them start like supine or in a hook line position and just thinking about like how can you get into an anterior pelvic tilt versus a, a posterior tilt. And, and, you know, what does that mean through the, the core and getting like abdominal bracing, things like that.
0: Yeah, and that's certainly not always the most glamorous thing to do, you know, that's not the kind of stuff that people, you know, they scroll through Instagram, and they're like, oh, great, pelvic tilts today, um, right. but sometimes it's the necessary evil of, you know, mastering the basic stuff before you move on to the more complex stuff, and I feel like sometimes that's a lost art, you know, people will jump right to the fancy core control and core stability multi yeah. stuff when we can't even control our pelvic movement.
1: Well, and I always break it down. Um, It's, you know, you got to be able to crawl before you can walk. And, and then a lot of times, like I'll have, once you, you can master that pelvic control in a supine or hook line position, I'll then move to a quadruped position and then into a half kneeling position. And then we find different ways to integrate that into our intervention. So our early stage, right. If someone comes to the clinic with a, with a true lax back, with a true spondy diagnosis, you know, they may come with a uh, uh MD's recommendation to do nothing for, for three months. Now that that can go down a whole separate conversation. <laughs> but again, like if, if we take the athlete out of the sport, make them wait and then put them back right into the sport and we haven't loaded them or progressed them or managed any of these things, they're probably going to end up in the same spot. And I think that's part of the reason why we see so much of this chronicity of this low back pain. Um but you know early stage I don't need to be ripping through mid-ball progressions or put a stick in the athlete's hands. You know, it's still worthwhile to think about, okay, can we be in single leg and, and work on a pelvic tilt? Can we get into a hip airplane and actually feel your hip? Things like that I think are pretty important and, and just easy, low hanging fruit for any lacrosse athlete.
0: And you mentioned a little bit too on the positional um, components of uh, lax back as well. Uh, I'm curious do the goalies ever get lax back? That was one that didn't come up or is it mostly like, you know, the attackers where it's more of a, you know, quick high powered shot kind of motion. Is there any difference on the defensive side? If it's a guy with a short stick versus a long stick, that sort of thing.
1: Yeah. So goalies um, oftentimes it, well, it depends on how they set their, their goalie position. So, so goalies are like very keen on how they kind of set their feet and how they have their hands set and, um, where they are in relation to each end of the pipe as the, as the ball is moving across the field. Um, but almost inevitably, a lot of these guys, are, again, are in that low athletic stance, in that, like, over-arch anterior Yeah, um, like an over- like overused chest-up kind of cue in a squat. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah, and unfortunately, again, a lot of the defensive guys find themselves in that position as well. Um, yeah, I've seen it with goalies as well. I've also seen, um, you know, just – Muscle spasms, you know, you think about like some of those longer paraspinals, like the longissimus, things like that. Um, I I think just because of that unilateral rotation that comes with the sport, uh, it's not uncommon just to see like a back spasm there too. So I I think that's worth looking at in a clinical setting. Again, you don't have to assume every lacrosse player that comes to you with with back pain is going to be, you know, a fracture or something like that. But, uh, you know, it's worth looking at through your differential. Going back to uh, some of your questions about like men versus women, um, it, it's really interesting. I think the women's sport is is changing rapidly. Um, in that, a lot of these female athletes, I think for the better, are you're seeing more and more of them in the weight room. A lot of them are moving faster, and a lot of them are shooting way harder. And I, I think one uh, female athlete that's kind of taken uh, taking the scene by storm, uh, Charlotte North. She's kind of been a, a you know on the tips of everyone's tongues in the past couple of years. She won a national championship with BC, but her shooting style is more like into a men's player. And I think you're seeing a lot more of these younger female athletes like watch someone like Charlotte shoot and integrate that into their play. And that's awesome. I think it's great for the sport. It makes it more exciting and exhilarating. I mean, these girls are ripping shots, you know, upwards of 90, 100 miles an hour. That's awesome. Um, of course, there's going to be that trade off though, of, you know, we have those muscular balances. We're going to get things like low back pain.
0: Yeah, yeah, definitely. I love how you brought up the muscular component too. Uh, This was something we talked about a few weeks ago with Brad Thorpe is even made the comment like, you know, we hear about tendonitis in places like the Achilles or the patellar tendon, but, you know, who's to say that couldn't develop in all of the different tendons and fascia that connects our muscles of our spine to, uh, help stabilize that. And that was something I'd never really thought about, you know, in school, you don't hear anything about isometric loading for like back extensors and improving like, you know, isometric strength of the connective tissues there. Um, so I definitely think that the muscular component is often overlooked there. Yeah, no, that's,
1: that's a great point. And and that's oftentimes how I'll describe my own back pain. Of course, like all PTs, I think do we, we take our own experiences and kind of share that into the world. But, you know, when I think about like my low back pain, I've had it since I've been playing sports for the last 15, 20 years. Um, but when I think about it, I it doesn't feel that sharp, pinching, um, boring sensation that you would anticipate from a spondy. I've never got it looked at. I've never taken the time to get an MRI or x-ray because I don't think it matters that much. Um, but, you know, if you think about the anatomical structure of, again, like we we mentioned, like that PSIS, that iliac crest. There's so many attachment sites there, right? From from the gluteal uh, muscles, the thoracolumbar fascia, the latissimus, all those paraspinals. It's a huge meeting point as well. So that I think that makes sense. Almost think of it as like a tendonitis essentially for the low back, right? If it's not, not just a true spinal fracture.
0: Definitely, definitely. And um, we've we've talked a little bit too about the pain associated with whether it's a fracture or the muscular component there. Do you have anything that you turn to to help manage that pain? Because if I know anything, I know you're not a big heat and ice kind of guy.
1: (laughs) Yeah, we, uh, we probably don't have heat packs or ice packs in the clinic.
0: Um, We don't need
1: them. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. No, I, Look, I think um, I think passive modality has a time and place in, in modern therapy, um, but my conversation with that is is always the same to patients. Whether it's a lumbar joint manipulation, a thoracic spine joint manipulation, dry needling, cupping, my conversation is: Look, I'm going to introduce a stimulus to your nervous system. You're in pain right now. Hopefully, it reduces your pain. That's going to give us a window to move better. And um, look, I have no problem doing a joint manip. I would say most of the lacrosse athletes I see. Um, they know that I can do it. They know that their back feels stiff and they know they feel better when I do it. So like a lot of times um, I'll do it with them. Um, and, and same goes for like dry needling, right? If you have that paraspinal buildup or some of that like um, insertional pain on that like lower PSIS, I, I've seen it. I've had it success with it myself, or even into the QL needling some of that. Um, it feels good. And again, that's, that's low-hanging fruit. If I can just get that, bang that out in the first five, 10 minutes of the session, and then that gives me a solid 30 to 40 minutes of, of loading and, and reteaching some of these movement patterns, I'm going to do that. Um, I, I think just as with all therapeutic intervention, education is key, and just make sure that we're not solely reliant on cupping, you know, uh, stretching, and, and needling for the management of likely and muscle imbalance or a movement pattern Um, deficit.
0: Yeah, I love that you bring that up. I mean, at the end of the day, exercise, neuro read, that kind of stuff is what's actually going to get someone better long term. Um, You know, I like to say, I can't tell you what ultrasound does, but I can tell you what exercise does. (laughs) Um, And even the modality type interventions that you mentioned there, like cupping, needling, joint mobilization or manipulation, like, We can literally see a difference as a result of those things. Um, So I like them a lot more than I like something like we're going to sit on a hot pack for 20 minutes with Easton and assume that's going to fix everything. You mentioned going to the exercise side a little bit. You mentioned about the pelvic tilts on um, the table supine. You mentioned quadruped, single leg pelvic control. Um, But I'm guessing that's not all you do. Uh, early stage, mid stage, with um, individuals with lower back pain who play uh, lacrosse. There, so what other stuff are you looking at? What other stuff are you loading? You know, are you chasing adductors? Are you chasing lateral hip? Are you more going after mobility?
1: Yeah, I mean, it's 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 all of those things for sure. Um, I think thinking about like my typical screening process, um, you know, one of my one of my uh, ladder clinics in, in PT school, they were very McKenzie heavy. And now I have thoughts aside about the McKenzie approach, <laughs> but the one thing I did steal from that is, is to some extent that directional preference. So I'll always check for that. I'll make sure I'm checking all motions of the spine, side bending, rotation, flexion, extension. It helps me get a good idea of where the patient's at. Um, but for sure, I'm looking at hip mobility. Um, I just had a conversation with a one of my division 1 athletes who's coming off of a spondy and he's starting to ramp up the shooting volume you know one of the things he worked with his pt at school and I had kind of connected with him we coordinated with this was his internal hip rotation was horrible i mean he was lacking like 50% between you know er ir on on both of his limbs and it just makes you wonder if you know when you when you step down for like a step down shot in lacrosse your front foot's planted the pelvis is essentially going to rotate over the femoral head of that front leg. If you have limited IR, but your body and your goal, the the functional demand is get this ball back as far as possible and release it as hard as possible. That rotation has to come from somewhere. And I think a lot of the times you have to look at that, the whole head to toe aspect of the athlete, because if they don't have the, the joint range of motion, it's going to come somewhere. And I think a lot of the times it's that, it's that mid substance, um, you know, that mid-body, that lumbar spine or thoracic spine, that's going to kind of give way to that. Um, In terms of other uh, muscular assessments and then some like early stage rehab, um, definitely looking at uh, glute strength, lateral hip, again, single leg balance. Um, Oftentimes, even during my eval, I'll I'll give athletes a, a light kettlebell and just look at, okay, how do you squat? How do you hinge? what's your awareness of your your hips and your torso under load and under movement. Um, I think all that really comes into play and gives you an idea as a clinician, you know, where where is their tendency in terms of like a, a loading pattern, but you know, also doesn't hurt. Like I think that's clinically relevant too.
0: Yeah, definitely. And it might show you so much other information because a lot of times people move differently when you load them versus when they're unloaded and naturally, you know, lacrosse might not, you know, demand four or 500 pounds back squat strength, but the uh, demands of the forces that you're putting on your body with the shot is going to, I'll say, be comparable to a high load type of
1: activity like that. Yeah. And and thinking about just like our progression through, um, you know, the, the treatment of something like this with a, with a spondy. Um, I, I like to think about it as going through like a, uh, a lighter load and a slower movement pattern. So again, if if we have that true fracture, yeah, I'm going to be a little bit um, slower in terms of like that spinal compression and maybe putting a bar on their back. That doesn't mean we can't get a great workout, right? And even if that's utilizing something like BFR or building in temple work, I think like um, a position like a split squat is, is an awesome position to be in. And, and again pulling back to like that pelvic awareness you know can you have an understanding of where your pelvis is um in a split squat position in an isometric and a lot of the times um as I kind of progress some of that pelvic positioning stuff it's again let's get you in this weird position I'll have you hold that isometrically maybe under a light load and can you rotate your pelvis to one side um you know one of the drills that I think blew up on social was like that Dak Prescott drill where he's like driving, um, the upper body, like into one side of the wall and he's like throwing his hips across. Like, I think that's a great later stage drill, but a lot of the progression of that is derived from that early stage, uh, hip dissociation and, and core activation work. Right,
0: right. And those are the kinds of things that you just have to crush in your rehab before you get to that fancy, cool stuff is, you know, I think that everyone wants to be doing the lacrosse drills or the, you know, weird setups and that kind of thing. But if you can't master the basics, then you, you're not going to get to that point. Or if you do jump right to that point, it's probably not going to be pretty.
1: Yeah, and yeah, you, you kind of called that before, but it's those, oftentimes those exercises are not the Instagram or the social media glamorous ones. But honestly, that's that's 90% of the work. Um, And I know um, I'm victim to that too. Like I'll I'll post all the exciting stuff and you've missed the hours and hours of just like basic quad sets that we've done or whatever. Um, But yeah.
0: Now going down to the hip now, because the back and the hip are very closely linked. um, And I've noticed a trend, we were talking about it before even, that field sport athletes, lacrosse, field hockey, even soccer, have a tendency to develop these kind of hip impingement, hip labrum, just pinchy, sharp pain in the hip that goes into the groin. Um, And I've even got one right now who has um, stress fractures or had stress fractures. They're healed now in both hips. And um, it's just kind of interesting to see the dynamic between a sport that has, you know, a lot of history of back pain, but also a sport that seems to have a lot of hip issues. And I think that lumbopelvic hip complex is just very, closely linked closely working together um are you seeing similar things at the hip the pinchy stuff the labrum the uh, impingement and uh what, what all would you say contributes to that from a lacrosse standpoint
1: yeah um so a couple of things there i, I, I we definitely see that i think the low back pain is probably a little bit more prevalent um but i think it it's well one like hip pain is often associated with low back pain right so we know that from a clinical standpoint but two, I think it also goes back to what we mentioned before regarding some of that hip rotation stuff and the demands that you need. So that close kinetic chain um, pelvic rotation over the hip, if you have limitations, whether it be from, you know, a cam or pincer true FAI component where that, that bone is getting a bony block, or if it is just a painful avoidance and it's, you know, something from a labral tear, um, you know, it's definitely going to alter your, your playing mechanics um, something you mentioned before that I, f- I forgot to touch up on again was uh, you mentioned adductor strengthening. I think that's another huge piece and it's something early on um, in my rehab, I think I missed. And it's something that I think you can learn to appreciate with any field sport or cutting athlete. Like I see it often with soccer players. I think the adductor is often under loved and underloaded, <laughs> and it's a huge part, right? Yeah. Like being able to come out, and speaking in lacrosse and female to come out of a, a split dodge, hard jab, your foot and then change direction. I mean, that adductor is, is taking so much of that eccentric load. And then again, where's those attachment sites, it's all into that pelvic hip girdle. And that kind of starts to talk about the same things we were mentioning with the low back and that pelvic control as well. Um, so I think that's huge. Like I I'll give almost every lacrosse player I work with some form of a, um, a side plank, or some form of a Copenhagen, and as we progress through that low back progression, they should be able to do that stuff, and that's before we're getting into, like, med ball rotations. Um, going back to, like, the hip pathology, um, yeah, I think, you know, we see it in field hockey players, too. Um, I, I think part of it is just the, the demands of the sport regarding, you know, the rotation, the cutting, the planting, so –
0: yeah. Yeah. I love how you brought up the adductor point there. It's uh, I, I had to laugh a little bit recently. I worked with Megan Barrington and uh, we, we came up with the hashtag love your adductors because they're arguably one of the most important muscles for yeah. field sports athletes. And yet they're just forgotten about. They're neglected. I mean, no one pays attention to them. Right. And I, I think and part of it is we don't have a great way to assess them. I mean, we don't have any great adductor special test. We don't really have a great way to test their strength outside of isometric contraction or just putting someone in a Copenhagen plank. I think a lot of people are unsure of how to even load the adductor outside of, you know, isometric squeezes and Copenhagen's. Do you have any kind of go-to progressions or anything that you like to utilize for more adductor activation? Are you more like a lateral lunge kind of guy or where do you tend to go?
1: Yeah, uh, that's a good point. You know, I don't think oftentimes we think about violent concentric motions of the adductor. <laughs> um, but again, starts in hook line supine. I'll give them, you know, a pillow or a mid ball to crush, you know, pairing with that pelvic tilt, something like that. Um, but in my mind, if you're a college athlete and you're playing a cutting field sport, you should be able to hold a long lever Copenhagen for a minute plus, like, just, I think that's a foundational, um, basic requirement that you should have, um, but yeah, I, you know, it starts with a short lever position. Um, you know, oftentimes you'll get some of the, uh, the complaints when you put a patient there and maybe they're not ready for that longer lever position. They'll be like, Oh, like it, you know, like it feels like it's about to rip off. I'm like, yeah, that's probably like that neurologic load of like, Oh, Holy crap. I haven't done an ISO in this muscle group before. So it starts with ISOs. You go from there. I think lateral lunges are great. Um, before I get into like heavy cutting, and this is true for ACL or low back or hip pain, um, again, it's, it's got to be a progression of volume management. And so I'll have people start with like, you know, a 12-inch lateral hop off and just getting into that low position, and then we'll add progressions out of there. So maybe they kind of step to the side of a box, land on a foot, and then they'll hop forward, or maybe they'll hop and rotate out of it. I'll try to mimic make, and they can break down a lot of either the change in direction or those shooting components try to work on it in an isolated, unilateral fashion as much as possible. And then, again, we'll bring it all together and kind of hit that functional piece at the end. You know, whether that's getting a stick in their hand in the clinic or going through med ball progressions or some type of, like, banded rotation thing. Um, you know, I think true for for hip and low back, one position or one intervention we didn't really talk about was, like, a payoff. I love that position. I think there's a lot of different ways to get adduct or to get, Lateral hip to get a lot of these isometrics in a relatively quote unquote safe position for the back, for the spine. Um, But you're still getting that anti rotation, that core activation. That's huge for a lot of our lacrosse athletes.
0: I love that. And I love the pairing of isometric exercise with other interventions because you're essentially cueing the body from a neurologic standpoint. Like you need to keep these muscles on while we're in this position. You know, I think. Sometimes there's a role of physical therapy and muscle strengthening for like a hypertrophy side of things, um, especially post op, trying to get a quad back on a post op ACL. Um, But I feel like a lot of times, you know, I'm not necessarily giving someone the world's greatest adductor muscle definition, um, but I'm helping them actually feel it more and help them like actually connect with that muscle because a lot of times, we, we have, what, 600 muscles in the body? And most of the times, athletes feel it in the same spots every yeah. single time. They don't actually yeah. you know know what it feels like to have a like strong adductor contraction or even strong like hip internal rotation contraction until you light them up with some of these different things. Absolutely. Now, you mentioned about the return to sport, and I kind of want to jump into that a little bit because I'm filling in some of the dots here on the hip. I think a lot of the management of it is going to be fairly similar to what we talked about with the lower back. You're probably using the same needling and joint type intervention. Sure, Traction or manipulation. Yep. Um, and you're probably loading it pretty similarly, starting on the table, starting with isometric what can we tolerate, and then progressing up into the paloft press, the single leg stuff, all of that that we just mentioned. um, so when you get to what I call the Instagram phase when it's like okay this is going to go this is going to be the showstopper here what right. kind of stuff are you looking at from a return to sport progression for lacrosse you know where do you start on day 1 when you first put a stick in someone's hands versus where do you end um you know what does that end goal look like for someone who's trying to get back to lacrosse
1: yeah. And, and so like, I've had clinical experience managing um, both FAI successfully and, and labral tears. I, I think the first piece is, is with the hip, we, we got to identify Like if this is an actual labral tear, setting the expectations of day one, right? Like if we know that there's pathologic tissue there, you know, we, we got to set expectations in terms of like what PT is going to be able to provide. Um, and so I recently had this conversation. So I mentioned that, but you know, yeah, it's it's hammering the basics, and once we get to the point where I think I, you know, I almost want to keep a stick out of their hands as much as possible in the clinic. Up to we get to that point, and then the stuff that we're doing with a stick in the clinic isn't that much because once I know, okay, you can shoot, you can dodge, you can plant, you can roll, you can do all those things. I'd rather you do that with with your team in a non-contact fashion, or with your skills coach or something like that. And a lot of these guys here have that. A lot of these girls and guys have that. Um, but it's again, like if I, if you have cleared either, you know, um, you know, single leg jump testing or that progression, um, and and you've shown good power and control and you're not getting that, that pain, it really comes down to just volume management. I think that's true for hip. I think that's true for back. I think that's true for a lot of these like non-surgical conservative managements from a PT perspective. And I see it all the time. Guys start feeling good and they're like, great. I'm going to go shoot for an hour and a half i'm like dude you haven't done that in three months or two months or six weeks why are we doing that um one thing i wish we kind of had a better handle on especially for like the back you know, something in baseball it's talked about a lot is like that pitch count we have that like return to throwing progression me and one of my colleagues have talked about this before we, we really need to develop some type of lacrosse equivalent um we don't have uh we don't have a great evidence based um, body behind that. Um, I know Dr. Tim Stone's been on the podcast before, so then we've talked about you know managing like buckets of balls, like as lacrosse players. That's kind of what we do. You grab a bucket of balls, you go out to the field, and it's maybe we we find a way to like manage that load and say, hey, we're just going to do a bucket, and in the bucket there's twenty five balls, right? And you kind of go from that progression. Once we get the athlete clinically, though, to a point where, you know, they're starting to be able to move into some of those lacrosse-specific positions and feel good, I'm lucky that the facilities we have allow us to get the athlete on the turf, have lacrosse nets set up. I really do want to watch how they're shooting because it's not just a matter of, okay, athlete comes to me, they're at square one, they come with this diagnosis or presentation – we need to get them back to that point. I want to make sure that they're successful later in their career, especially if it's a high school or a college athlete who's maybe pursuing professional goals or playing at a higher level. Um, it, it's at this stage that return to sport, that Instagram phase of exercises that I'm really breaking down their, their biomechanics. And oftentimes I'm not really trying to coach athletes out of their patterns because they've been doing it for years if there's a certain way we can modify or or think about maybe foot placement or things like that, and that can help alleviate some of their pain and just set them up for success moving forward, that's what I'm taking this time to do.
0: Yeah, I love that you bring that up because as you mentioned, you know, we're not going to undo the way an athlete has run or the way an athlete shoots if they've done that for 20 years. We're not going to magically do that in 20 minutes, 30 minutes of work a couple times a week, unfortunately. (laughs) I also love your point on the uh, load volume management there. And that is something that, as you mentioned, we see it in baseball. We don't really see it in lacrosse. Um, And would you say that there's like a, I'll I'll say like a sweet spot progression for that um, as far as like how you work up to getting to the point of full return to sport and how quickly... Uh, Should you progress through that? And I know that's going to vary a lot based on the individual, but, you know, is a progression over a week too quick or is a progression over a month too quick? What kind of timeline? um, Because while I I have some gripes against timelines, I also think that it's important to have a stepwise progression back to where you need to be.
1: Yeah, that's a great question. Um, I'll give you a general answer because as you (laughs) mentioned, it depends, right, that classic PT response. Um, but I, I think the biggest way we can manage that volume is going to be through uh, sheer repetition volume, but also intensity. So a lot of the times, if we're call it week one, I want to get you to a point where we can shoot from a 50 to 75% intensity. And again, I don't, I don't have a great count for it. a lot of it's going to be patient dependent and just tolerance. Um, but let's call it, you know, 100 shots, right? Over that course of the week. I think to me, it makes sense that based off of clinical presentation and tolerance, um, again, some of that biomechanics that we talked about playing with that. And, and just as a side note, I always like to point this out. Lacrosse different than baseball pitchers, where I think it's a little bit more of a closed environment for a baseball pitcher. And there's a little bit more. Um, they have control of the pace of the play in lacrosse once the guy or, or girl has the ball on their stick and they get an opportunity to shoot, they're not thinking, oh, well, let me plant my left foot with a little less external rotation here. It's you, you grip it and rip it. So um, I, I think it's worthwhile building in some of these patterns, um, but the hope is not so we're changing, as we mentioned, we're not changing how they're releasing the shot. It's just, okay, well, maybe we can kind of liken them to a, a you know a less painful position or a more optimal position in actual play. Um, but regarding progressions, I would say, you know, you're looking at a couple of weeks, three, four weeks, um, you know, with that being shorter or longer, depending on the patient.
0: Yeah, I like that. And that kind of gives you time too to assess how they respond to it. Um, I know Tim made this point uh, a little while ago that there's a lost art of the subjective side of rehab. You know, it's not just what you do, but it's, how the person in front of you is actually responding to it. Um, And going back to your point again on, you know, the bucket of ball or whatever kind of tool you're using to manage load. um, It could be like a time, like, you know, I'm just going to shoot for 15 minutes, whatever. Um, I actually think, and this is all just theoretical opinion at this point, but, I I would think that might actually help develop skills better because now you have to focus on the quality of each shot. You know, you don't get 600 shots. You get, you know, you get 50 today. So you've got to make all 50, you know, count. You can't just like, oh, you know, I had five bad shots. Don't worry. I've got, you know, another 100 shots to go or something.
1: Yeah, and and thinking about like some of that end stage um, progressions in specific lacrosse terms, you know, I'll have people start with, you know, just a single step, right, with with their front plant leg and focus being building off of the med ball progressions or some of the band, banded, powerful rotation progressions that we've done previously. Um, and then we'll move into, okay, now I'm going to change your position on the field. Maybe I'll take away a little bit less of your angle. That's going to force your torso to rotate a little bit more, more expose you to some of those greater end ranges positions of that side bending, extension, rotation, um, and then maybe we'll add that on the run, right? So there's all these different ways you can kind of tweak even if you have, so if I have a 45 minute session and I know today I wanna progress shooting, there's ways even to just change that up and then that can kind of reflect in your shooting progression as well. Just think about, again, even if you know lacrosse or not, As a sports PT, you got to know what are the demands of the position and what are ways we can make it harder, progress, or regress. I mean, that's what we do all day from a therapeutic standpoint.
0: Completely agree. And, you know, while the context of this episode has been largely therapeutic in nature, I would imagine a majority of the things that we've talked about would also help with performance as well. Like, you know, say you are a good lacrosse player and you want to become a great lacrosse player. Well, if you're a good lacrosse player that doesn't have pelvic control – Maybe improving that would help you become a great lacrosse player.
1: Yeah, totally. And um, it, it's oftentimes I'll get I'll get rehab questions through my social media and Instagram, but a lot of times I'll get performance ones too. And so my advice would be if you're a young athlete listening to this who's interested in lacrosse and it doesn't need to be lacrosse, it could be football, it could be basketball, it could be anything. Again, some of those basics that we talked about, like can you stand on one leg? Can you tip over into an RDL with good control? 10 to 15 reps without falling over. I think that tells you a lot. Um, So working on some of those things and and mastering that just, just before you grab the stick and just head out to the field for two hours.
0: Yeah. There's definitely a lost art of what I call general physical preparation or just GPP zone one or level one type stuff is, you know, we have people that can't roll from prone to supine, dissociating their hips from their shoulders. Um, Yeah. Yet we learned how to roll at like five or six months old. So somewhere along the line, we lost a few things and we just kind of need to regain that.
1: Totally. Yeah. And, you know, as I mentioned before, like I'll get all my athletes pro high school, middle school, doesn't matter. We're going to get into a quadruped position. We're going to do some of that rolling stuff on the floor. It's worthwhile. And I think it's important to kind of understand where your body is in time and space, because that's what we expect it to do when we play sports. So there's no way that there's no reason we shouldn't be training that way.
0: I completely agree. You have to match your interventions to the demands of the activity. And if I know one thing about you, it's that you do a phenomenal job of that. Austin, this has been a great Appreciate episode it. here. Do you have any kind of closing thoughts, closing remarks, or anything we missed on the discussion of lacrosse and lacrosse injuries and interventions?
1: Now, without getting too preachy, it's, I think it's one thing that maybe we missed is that, um, just that uh, you see more PTs talk about this. Just to patients, you are not your imaging. <laughs> so if you go and you get an image and you do get a positive spondyl- uh, spondylysis diagnosis doesn't mean that you need to perseverate on that and that your back is broken. The body is an awesome piece of work and it is strong and it will heal. So if you're someone who's gotten a diagnosis or even a labral tear or something like that, that doesn't mean your body's broken. So I think that's important and worth noting. I tell all my patients that. Um, and no, other than that, Thank you so much, Dan. It's been a pleasure being here. Um, if anyone has questions or wants to reach out to chat about some of the stuff, you can hit me on social um, at laxrehab on Instagram.
0: Perfect. And we'll link to that below in case you didn't quite catch that. So you can just click there and check out Austin's Instagram. Really appreciate your time today, Austin. Thank you again.
1: Thanks so much, Dan.
0: Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Bron Body Health and Fitness Podcast. If you've liked this episode, please make sure to share it with a friend, subscribe so you don't miss any of our upcoming episodes, and leave a review. This way we can spread knowledge and motivation and help reach more people. Thank you again for listening, and I'll see you next time.